Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Tim Michael. Tim, welcome to the show. Henry, great to be here today. It's great to have you. Uh, Tim uh, is going to share with us his entrepreneurial journey. And he's going to introduce what he calls the 10 factor. He's written a book about it and he's got a whole program around the 10 factor to help you create a thriving business built around your ideal lifestyle. We'll have, have him explain what that means. Uh, if you want to receive more information though about the How of Business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Tim Michael is the creator and best-selling author and podcast host of The 10 Factor. Using his 10th month success blueprint, uh, he helps consultants and entrepreneurs create a thriving business built around their ideal lifestyle. Like, like many of us as successful entrepreneurs, Tim failed his way to success, as he says. In 2008 in particular, he lost $334,200, very specific amount, after he resigned from a very successful 12-year corporate management career to pursue his side business full-time. So he's made that transition just as I did from the corporate world to owning his first business. He'll share that story in a minute. Uh, his business grew ex exponentially, but one bad business deal left Tim's company almost bankrupt. Tapping into emergency funds, he fought back and restructured the business, resulting in a new profit-producing model that he says required less than 40% effort. So he really re-engineered the way that he ran his business. Seeing an opportunity to give back and help other struggling entrepreneurs, Tim reverse engineered his process, validated it with other top entrepreneurs, and created this 10-month roadmap that's called the 10 Factor. Now Tim can enjoy life like he dreamed of with his three children, while he also helps other entrepreneurs with kids do the same thing. And it's not just entrepreneurs with kids, but certainly those of us who have children particularly are challenged with that balance of business and life. Uh, Tim lives in the Baltimore, Maryland area. So once again, Tim Michael, welcome to the show. Henry, it's so awesome to be here. Excited for this conversation today. Yeah, so am I. I'm looking forward to this. You know, we were chatting before we started recording. Um, I have one child, although she's off to university. You've got, how old are your kids now? So I have three, and uh, my oldest is 10. So she's uh, getting ready to head into fifth grade. So she's, wow. uh, we're here on summer vacation right now. So she gets to spend a lot of time with me since I uh, mm -hmm. leverage the home office. Then uh, I also have three-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. Wow. Amazing. So, you know, the, the one of the biggest things I've talked about this a lot that having become my own boss, the thing that I looked for and has afforded me is that time to spend with with my child. I mean, I was there for just about everything um, that, that I wanted to and that she wanted me to be there for. So I, that, that is something that uh, you, you, you never get that back, right? You never get those years back with your children. Well, that's it. I like to, to use the term blink, that it, it goes by in a blink of an eye. And it's, it does. it's, it's interesting for me now because um, I knew that, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, I expect, but I, I took my last paycheck a few months before my oldest daughter was born. So I've been able uh -huh. to experience that my, for her entire life. But, but yeah, the, um, the things that happen with kids, the, the moments, 
you can either you can either live them live, you can live them through a, nowadays a video, or you can live them through a picture, or in some instances mm-hmm. through a story. And I've been able in my life to uh, really, really try hard and succeed in most instances to be there and live these events live, which for me is just something that, that I'll cherish forever. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, let's go back a little bit in time. You had that corporate management career job. And so just tell us a little bit about that experience and, and kind of what led up to you starting the side business. Okay, so I started... I followed the typical path. There's about a quarter of people out there that that go to college and actually work with their degree. I was one of those people. So I got mm. a I got a civil engineering degree, went to Virginia Tech here on the East Coast. And when I graduated, I, I had specialized within the engineering and construction management. So I I did a, a summer intern between I guess it was between my sophomore and junior year, and then I did a summer internship between my junior and senior year. And that was the company that I stuck with. So they ended up hiring me full time. And I went to work there right out of school. And that was in the Baltimore, Maryland area here. And they were a 100-year-old company with a nationwide presence and 20, about 25 offices around the country at the point where I was hired. And it was a couple thousand employees. So it was a big company that, that had done a lot of things right. They had weathered the Great Depression. They had gone through really, really bad economic times, really, really good economic times but they had always managed to keep their noses clean, do things above board. And the, the longevity was, was something that was attractive to me. My, yeah. my father had had a long-term job, but you know, the whole time I grew up. So I understood like what that meant, the benefits of that. And, and then I, I just felt like that was, was where I belonged. So I went ahead and I, I took that job and, and it was a good job in my twenties. And I was, uh, I was moving up, I like to say I was moving up very fast on a very shallow slope, because it was a big company, and it was a long ways to the top. Mm. So as a result, I, I truly had a job. And it was a job that you could retire with. As a matter of fact, when I'm out and about getting dinner and stuff, nowadays, I bump into some of the people that were there 40 plus years that have retired there. And, wow. and that was definitely a track. And that was the way that that company really operated. They hired right out of school and the intention was to keep you there for your entire career. So with me, there was a couple things, two specifically that became deal breakers. And as I, as I moved further into the next phase or season of my life, it became evident that if I was going to stay with this company, travel was, was something that was going to be part of the deal. I had spent a couple years on the West Coast I had um, bid projects in New York. I had bid projects in Georgia. I had bid um, projects in the Midwest. And the projects that I were doing were um, sometimes upwards of $50 million. So you can imagine they don't get done in a couple of weeks. These right. were the type of jobs where you basically pick up your, yourself and you go on the road, you live on the road, and then you come home periodically to visit. So I knew that if I stayed in that type of a structure, that when I did have kids, I would be actually coming home to visit my kids, which is really not something I wanted to do. And then the second part of it was, as I started to get more serious with my girlfriend at the time, who would later become my wife and the mother of the children, is we, we had talked about creating a traditional family structure in the sense where one person is the primary provider and one person is the primary nurturer, which meant that I would have to make enough money to cover two salaries 
for her to be able to stay at home and raise the kids, keep them out of daycare and things like that. So I wasn't quite making enough money to make that happen. So those two things started to eat away at me. And I guess it was I, seven years into 12 is when I got that itch. So we spent about five years contemplating what we we're going to do. Because I'll be honest with you, I had a really good thing there. I mean, I had a good job, a secure job. Um, I know at some point in time, if I had stuck it out long enough, I would be very high up in that company. So there was a lot of positive things, but those deal breakers just kept eating away at me. So I did something that was kind of against the grain for me. I, I jumped off the ship and took a risk and started a side business at the beginning of 2007, January, and was really adamant with myself that I was going to do it right. So I, at that point in time with the corporate job, I had a lot of benefits. I had a company vehicle. I had the computer. I had the phone. Um, I, I had a lot of other things that could have put me in a bad position if I got caught using them to start a side gig. So I went out and I bought a new, a new truck. I got myself a second phone. I was that guy with two phones all the time. I had wow. another computer, um, even, even down to you know, pens and paper and everything. I, I, was, I was going to make sure that I didn't violate that protocol of, of the employer because they had been good to me and I respected that. They want to burn a bridge. Did anybody know at work? Not really. I did a very, very good job of keeping it quiet. Not quite sure how I did, but I did. I did that for about 15 months. And, wow. and, then, and then what happened was, was exactly what I knew would eventually happen. It was a Friday afternoon and I got a call. I was running a, a hospital about 45 minutes from the office. We were doing an emergency, dep emergency department expansion. And I got a, a phone call to come up to the office and boss said, hey, we need to, we need to send you up to New York to, to deal with a problem job. So I was effectively going to be the fixer on a job that had gone bad. Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, my side business had, had really gotten to that level where I knew that I was almost ready to kind of flip the switch and that could provide for me full time. But I wasn't quite, wasn't quite ready to do it yet. So anyway, I, I did something I had never done. I pushed back and I said, no, I can't go. Sorry. And it was a very awkward conversation with somebody. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and it was, uh, it, it was, it was really, it was, it was, this is actually not a negotiation. This is an assignment as well. Right. I understand, but, but I can't go. And he said, well, you got to give me more. And I said, okay, well, I've, I've, I just can't do it. I have commitments here. I have another business. And needless to say, you know, there was a jaw that hit the desk and had to be picked yeah. up because it was just a, it was a shot out of left field. And, and then I, I went on and said, you, but you have to understand, I've had this business for 15 months. You didn't know anything about it, which means it wasn't affecting my work at all. It really, it's not a conflict of interest. I'm not taking the same clients. I'm doing everything on my own, but I have to take care of my family. And yeah, but, but it became a conflict of interest at that point. Absolutely. That, and it did, yeah. So at that point, it became a, it, it became a, a problem. Yeah. So, so needless to say, the, the directive was, well, you need to shut that company down as soon as possible. Interesting. So, well, sure. Let me just go ahead and do that, right? So that was <laughs> And And the side business, I don't think you've mentioned it, was a, you were doing a contract remodeling. Right. Is that right? I, I was. So instead of doing these big jobs, I had you know, gotten into some smaller stuff that I could do off hours and nights and weekends. And that was really not something that my company was was even licensed to do that I was working for. So it really was not a conflict at all. And, and at that point, I asked my boss a few questions. And, and this is really what sealed the deal for me. 
so they they knew that we were well on our way to having our first child who this this conversation was in April and my daughter was born in October so you can do the math so so we were on that path of moving into the next phase of her life it was not a good time for me to travel but you have to understand when you work for a big company family is important but family is not always going to lead because you they, they have a job to do as well so I, I respected that, but I asked him the, the questions that I may not have asked earlier in my career when I was a little bit more naive. And I said, how many days a week is the job working? He said, seven. I said, okay. And then I said, well, how many shifts a day? He said, three. So that's not uncommon either. Problem job, it's working seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So then I said, well, have I already been committed? As in like, did my resume already go up to the owner? And he said, yes, you've been committed. I said, okay, so I am quote unquote the fixer. And then I asked the next question, and there was this, this dead silence. I said, well, how often do I get to come home? And when you know you could hear the pin drop, at that point, you go, okay, well, that's the part of the deal that sounds good in the office, but when you get there, what reality is, is I know, I knew at that point exactly what I was walking into. So that's when I said, it's yeah. just not going to happen. So anyway, re- as quickly as I could, um, almost immediately, they, they found somebody else to go. They did, they did honor my request and not send me. And within a couple of weeks of that, I went in and I gave my notice. So I had said, same, same office. I was shaking a little bit more the next time. But uh, yeah, gave my notice. And that was for me it was hard, because one of the things I had to do was I had to, I had to sign a document and give them back $334,200. Wow, I was not vested in yet. And that for me starting off um, saying, Okay, well, here's here's your money back. And oh, by the way, don't send me a paycheck anymore. I, I felt like I was literally jumping off the ship. So that, that, was, that was how I started. And at that point in time, it was, uh, it was scary. It wasn't real. It was kind of surreal. And then when I, I remember the last day when I, when I left, it was, it was so weird. It was like I never looked back. It was, you know, like never have had, I've had, a, had a desire to like walk down the halls and look at the pictures or any of that stuff. I still have contacts there, but it was like I truly had graduated and moved on to the next phase of my life. And when you look back, would you have done it sooner or was the timing what it needed to be? If you had asked me that question a few years ago, I would have said, yes, I should have done it sooner. As I've lived and worked with other entrepreneurs and helped other entrepreneurs, I realize how blessed I was to have the experience to actually cut my teeth for so many years learning from a company with that kind of a history. Mm -hmm. Because so many entrepreneurs go out here now, and this is a lot of what I help people with is that they get out there and they have a great idea, but they have no business sense. And they really, without the business sense, they don't have the foresight to see and anticipate the problems before they become a problem. And as a result, they get themselves in these pickles and they, they also don't take the time, which I did in my 20s, fortunately, to build some financial redundancies to weather the storms. And, and they don't do that. They just, um, they just go out there and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. And I read a book and somebody said, if I do this, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be magical and I'm going to be making a million dollars in six months. And <laughs> unfortunately, that is what we see in the media. That's what we see on social media. And it's so far from the truth. And I'm, I'm sure you can attest to that too with your, your background. It, it, it really goes down to building the foundation and understanding how a business works. 
if you want to build something that's sustainable for the long term, which is what you need in order to really provide for your family and really create uh, a, a tangible lifestyle that you can be proud of and that you can create that legacy for. Yeah, I completely agree. So, I mean, you, you had you had the ability to learn there from people who knew how to run a business well, obviously all of that history. And so some good management, you were able to put yourself in a financial position. I mean, that required you to, to have that discipline, but it was also that opportunity because you were making decent money. And I got to think your, your spouse at that time, she must have been on the same page with you on this for you to take this kind of a risk at that point. Is that fair? So we started that conversation when we were boyfriend, girlfriend, and it was an ongoing conversation. I had come from a family, and, and, and maybe I should give you this little piece of background, which would help the listeners understand. When I was in college, I said earlier in the, the interview that my father you know, had managed to have a long-term job while I was growing up, and that came to an end my sophomore year of college. I got a call out of the blue from him and he said, Hey, uh, I just lost my job wow. and it was a 17 year job. And here I was the oldest and I was in college and I had two sisters coming fast and hard behind me. So needless to say, there was probably some stress going on under that roof at that point. <laughs> but yeah. uh, what had happened in his situation was he was the second in command at a company had been for a lot of years. And then as his uh, bosses, the owner of the company, as his children got out of college, he in turn ended up training his boss's son to take over his job unbeknownst. Ouch. So walked in one day and said, we don't need you anymore. And, and this was not like a severance package kind of a deal. This was just, you're done. I got a car going to wow. take you home and that's it. So he was on his, you know, on his face, literally. And he called me and this was a, this was just tells you something about my dad. He called me. Not to tell me he lost his job, but he told me he didn't want me to call him at work and be embarrassed that he wasn't there anymore. So that's just Jeez. the kind of person he is. And that, that meant a lot. I'll never forget that conversation, that part of the conversation. So when, he, when, when that happened, here he was you know, really good at what he did, had done it for a lot of years, was very marketable. And he went out on the job market and he couldn't find a job that could pay him enough money to really take care of what, where the family was. So he started a little consulting business and, and here he is hmm. almost 25 years later, still running that business. That's fantastic. So, so there was that, the, was that, go ahead. I'm sorry. Tim. No, that, that's, that's, I think a big part of what, when I was teetering back and forth over those years, mm. what, what said, you know what, there is something on the other side of this corporate life. Right. So he had modeled that for you, but, and also the question I was going to ask is, was that always in the back of your mind as you were building that corporate career of what happened to your father? Or, or did you think, well, that won't happen to me? Well, I, I'll tell you this. My dad went to work for a family company and I did not. So I think it was in the back of my mind when I took my first job out of college more than it was venturing into entrepreneurship. So I didn't want to get in that position where somebody else's son was going to come up and take my job years later. Yeah, so, so, this, so it was in your head already that this whole... I call it a fallacy of, you know, in lifetime employment. You knew that that was, you know, one event away from being a lie, that, that at any point in time that could change. A absolutely. And, and then a part of your question that I didn't answer was, was about my, my spouse. Yeah, yeah, we definitely had these conversations back and forth. And it went on for a long time. And, and the conversations were, were probably less about the money and more about what the commitment was going to be in order to make this happen. And I remember telling her that this is, 
This is not something where I'm going to walk away from this job and in two or three months, you know, we're going to be living on easy street and you say, Hey, my husband's a business owner and we got it made. I said, this could be a several year investment into building this thing into something that is sustainable and really going to put our family where we want to be. And there are some unknowns going in. I, I, I have it laid out and I have it planned out, but I really can't predict the future and write the script. So you have to understand yeah. that you have to take the good with the bad. And what happened was in my particular instance, the good came really fast that time around and the business kind of exploded out of the gates and I was able to bring her home that August. And that was the way we had kind of written the story because then my daughter was born in October but not everybody has those experiences. And, and then we leveled and then that's a lot of what happened after that initial growth is what, where I really learned about being a business owner and the highs and the lows. And, and that's really what I, what I take back to people. So I don't help people grow really fast, like grow eight times in a couple months. I help people build something sustainable that they can manage and run for a long time in the way that they want to run the business the way that it works with their family and their lifestyle. That's what I, yeah. Yeah, no, no, that makes so much sense. And going back to that business though, you, you got out of the gates really fast, but then at some point, as you share, you, you almost got to bankruptcy. So just tell us briefly about that. What were, or were a couple of the things that, or the one thing that led to that, that, that you learned from and were able to get past, but tell us about that briefly. Well, what happened was, in business, you create relationships. And when you create good, solid relationships, you allow your business to just explode. And I spent years creating good, solid relationships based on trust and trust and ethics and those type of things. And my business, I, I effectively, once we had the initial growth spurt, I became the bottleneck of my own business. Hmm. And most entrepreneurs that are more of a solopreneur or a self-employed type entrepreneur have experienced that at some point. Some get out of it, some don't. But effectively what happened was I was, we, we did, I, I think we did, the one year we did 17 jobs, then the following year we did 100. So that, that gives you an idea of, of a quick growth. And, and wow. when the company grew, I was dead set that I was going to be the, the estimating department for my company. Because the way we did work, it was very custom and we would go in and we would, we would basically get pitched an idea and we would come up with a concept and a design based on that. So in order to do that, it wasn't like I could just say, hey, here's the, here's the handbook, go out and do these, these jobs. So I, I kept myself intimately involved in that. And then as the business started to grow, I became involved in more and more parts and pieces of it. And I didn't do a really, really good job delegating. And that was a lot of what I fixed. So then what happened was years down the road, we got into a bad business deal where somebody was, was struggling to get funds and we, we ended up fronting a lot of the job and we did a, a tremendous amount of work um, with, the, with the promise that we would get paid later. And when it time, got time to get paid later, that, that wasn't going to happen. So wow. it, was a, it was a large enough investment on my end that it, I thought it was going to bankrupt the company. So at that point in time, here we were, we had just moved into a new house. We had the my second and third kids, which are twins, were a, about a month and a half away from, from being born. So I'm sitting in my office in my new house and I, I have this phone call where this thing's just not going to turn out the way it's supposed to uh, with, with my attorney. 
And I get out of my office chair and I walk to the dining room where my, my wife was sitting and I said, okay, we got a problem. We're, uh, we might lose everything. And that was a very, very hard conversation to have. So what happened was I walked back into my office and sat back down at my desk and just kind of cleared my head, pulled out a, a legal pad, started jotting down some notes, and then went back out about 10 minutes later and said to her that, okay, there's no way I can get a job. Because if I get a job, it's going to set us in our rears all the way back to where we were years ago. Never going to dig us out. I got to fix this thing. I'm, but I need you to look me in the eye and tell me that go fix this thing. So that was the, that was kind of the husband wife conversation that we had mm -hmm. where, where sometimes you can, you can look, you don't even have to say anything. So I got that, I got that agreement, went back into my office. And this is the part I'm not quite sure. The memory is a little bit fuzzy on this. Somehow I went about my day and did what I had to do. And then I came back that night and revisited it. And at that point I had pulled some of the emotion out. And that's the first three steps of the 10 factor. There's a, there's a 10 second test where you kind of figure out where do I want to be right now? Then there's the 10 minute dream statement, which is the second time we talked. And then there's the 10 hour reflection, which is when you go back and you kind of put pen to paper and really say, okay, is this really where I want to be? And that's how, when I work with a new client, that's the process that I run them through. The and what, why is that so important, Tim? I mean, I can, I can venture some ideas here, but what, do, we, do you find that when we try to make those knee-jerk reactions or decisions when we're in that emotional state, we just often make the wrong decisions? What, what are you finding that that does for us when we take those, those step aside or reflection moments and then come back to the problem? Well, I'm a big proponent of trusting your gut. Matter of fact, I, I write about that in my book. I, I feel like your gut is always going to be at least pretty close to where you should go. And but isn't our gut influenced, though, by all those experiences? You know, there's, there's lots that's been written about that, that, that what we call our gut is really based on all of these experiences that we've had. But a lot of us, when we get to this point, and, and if we're in business, we're, we're eventually going to get to a point where we've got a big hurdle to cross we may not have a lot to fall back on on experience on this. So, so tell me a little bit more about that when you say, you know, go with your gut or your instinct. So, so what you said is exactly right. Uh, in, in my instance, I was able to sit down at my desk and on the legal pad, I was able to sit down and write down the numbers hmm. of me going and getting a job in relation to where we were. And, and in see. less than two minutes, make a concrete assessment that, hey, I can't make this happen, that the numbers don't work. But going back to what I said earlier, so many entrepreneurs don't have that, like, like you said, building, building that, that back end, of, you know, learning and growing and building that wisdom, that when they truly go off emotion, mm. that emotion can be somewhere out in left field, which can send them down a rabbit hole that makes a bad problem way worse. So I feel like the ability, like if you've ever wanted to send off a nasty email to somebody and you decided, hey, I'm going to sleep on it, and you went yeah. back the next morning, and all of a sudden the words just came a little bit more eloquent and a little bit easier to get on paper, and you, you solved the problem, but you solved the same problem the same way with a little bit different, less emotional method, and the result of that is, is generally going to be much more powerful. And that's how mm -hmm. I feel the, the putting it away happens. And then what happens in my program is then you spend 
you know, several months going back and testing this gut. But really, to me, it's just invoking the emotions in different conscious states. So one being in that intense, hyper chaotic state when you just found out that there's something going to happen and you go, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do, which in a lot of instances is drop everything. And then the next emotion is more of a calming emotion when you can say, okay, let's, let's put some logic into this and let's go back. And, and because you're going to write it down, and you're going to go back and you're going to reread it, you're going to revisit it, but in, in a different conscience state. And like for me, my, what I wrote on the, the legal pad was, was very simple. Get out of the contracting business. I mean, that, that is, I knew at that point in time, that's what I wanted to do. But then I had to figure out how the heck am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. So is that when you started to pivot to analyzing how you built this business or what was next? And, and how did you get past that? Because a lot of times often, you know, you talk about now taking time to figure out how to redo it or how to reinvent yourself. But sometimes we don't have the luxury of that. In other words, the money is tight and I'm not going to get this contract payment and I got to pay the bills. How did you get past that phase? I was in crisis mode at that point. And because I was in crisis mode, I knew that I had to do exactly what I did not want to do, which was continue to work the contracting business. And that was going to provide the financial means. But I knew that I knew I needed to get out of it. And, and there, was, there was some other pieces to it as well. There was some, there was some law changes that were happening in my state that, that I saw my risk as a business owner in that particular field. My, my risk was, was going up and the reward was not. So, so there was other reasons that had pushed me to that and some conversations mm-hmm. I had had, had with, with competitors about that as well. So I kinda, it was already in the back of my mind. So I knew that I wanted to, to pivot, but I also knew I needed to make some money. And I knew that's what I knew. So there, so there was going to be a process of, of changing, changing the guard, so to speak. And I knew I wanted to help other people because as soon as this happened, it, it was almost immediately, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many people out there that don't know how to deal with this. And I, you know, to pull the, the silver lining or the, the shiny, tangible piece out of this mess that I had was that I actually was able to sit down at my desk and figure out how to deal with this problem. But there's mm-hmm. so many business owners that would just put their head on the desk and quit. Well, what does right. that do to your family? So that's when I knew I was on to something. So what I did was I went back and I, I had a good business for a lot of years that I had let things kind of get away from me that I knew were not working at an optimal level, but it was just a, I'll deal with it later kind of an attitude. And maybe that was because I had lost my drive for the business, or maybe that was just because I got comfortable or maybe because I was just busy. I, I don't know exactly. But once I went into crisis mode, I went in and started making some immediate changes and the biggest change that I made was I started saying no to about nine out of 10 job opportunities. I see. And what that did was that got us right into the sweet spot of exactly who our ideal client was and exactly where I could provide the best service and also make the best reward. And that in itself just took a tremendous amount of work away. I also changed staff. I went in and I made wholesale changes to my my outsource partners, my subcontracting force fired a bunch of them and brought in a different caliber. And that making those changes basically took my business from a good business, good business because I was always there to, to make sure that everything was good to a professional business where everybody that would touch my business would be a professional. 
There's mm-hmm. a big difference there. I also got to think going back to, you know, defining that ideal lifestyle, when you were thinking about, okay, what do I do next? Do I abandon this? There's often, I'm sure a lot of people think through and you may have thought through, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I go back to find that safe job. I got to think that a lot of it was that ideal lifestyle that you had already gotten, of course, a taste of and that you foresaw for your family. That has to have been what kept you driving to fix this and figure it out and figure out what's next. You never want to give something to somebody and then take it back away. And I felt like in that instance in time, if I had gone back and taken that job or a job and we had had to make a major life change, I would have always carried that. You would have been miserable. <laughs> well, well, right, literally. And, and to know what I had learned in 2008 was that, hey, I can build this thing and I can build it fast. I knew I could do it again. It was just a matter of figuring out what, it, what went wrong, what changed between then and now. So a lot of it was just going back and figuring out what I had done right before and then getting rid of the things that I had started doing wrong, which is the yeah. cleanup, which is, and, and that's, that was a big, that's a big lesson for your listeners. A lot of people that come to me, and, and you've probably seen the same thing, they, they come to me and they have what, what seems like a mess. And when, when you really get into it, they're, they're so close to getting over mm-hmm. that hump. It's just the minor tweaks. And, and that's where the personal development and, and working with a coach or a mentor becomes so important. And, and I think of, you know, like a major league baseball player, you've got a person that's hitting a ball, you know, pitched at 100 miles an hour. And yet they've got somebody else telling them, hey, you need to make these minor adjustments in order to get to the elite level. And to bring that back to any business owner, that happens to be a professional athlete. But if you are a janitor, you're a professional janitor. If you are a truck driver, you're a professional truck driver. The people that are the best of the best are never afraid to get coaching and teaching and mentorship because they know that they're, they're only as good is where they are right now, but they can always get better and they never stop learning. They never stop growing. And I realized that so many people in business reach a point where they max out and then they, they essentially stand still. But what happens is if you stand still over time, you actually start to move backwards. And that's a mindset understanding that so many business owners don't understand. And there's times where I think that's okay. Like, like, for example, like my, my father, he's getting up there in years. It doesn't make sense for him to go into his business at this point in time and make wholesale changes because he'll never have time to reap the benefits. However, if somebody 30 years younger is running that same business, they may go in and make changes that they can get paid on for years and years and years. So every situation right. is unique, but there's never a point in time as a business owner, a professional business owner, where you want to get caught standing still. Yeah. Yeah, no, well said. And I think, like you said, to so many businesses, business owners that we talk to, sometimes it's about them getting out of their own way. All right, we, we've touched on it, but introduce for us the 10 factor. Introduce it for us at a high level, and then we'll talk about a couple of components of it here as, as we have time. But give us an introduction to what it is. Okay, it, it's 10 months. And, and the reason it's 10 months is because it took me 10 months to, to go through and implement the changes in, in my own business and my own life. 
And when I went back and I reverse engineered it, I kind of backed into the name, the 10 factor because of the 10 months. So I figured the 10 months out first, and then I figured out the name. Actually, I figured out the name in the context of a, of a group mastermind. I remember when it came mm-hmm. to me, it was, it was pretty cool. So it, it, it's broken into the stages. Um, I, I structured it like a basketball game. I do a lot of sports analogies because I found that even people that aren't athletic, if you, if you pick a major sport, they can understand the basic flow of a game. So, it, sure. so I do a lot of that in my teachings. So the, the first month, it, and it, what it is, it's factor spelled backwards and then 10. So it's F-A-C-T-O-R-S-T-E-N, and that's the 10 steps. So the first step is focus, and it all comes down to focus. And that's where you, you're going to establish your dreams, and you're going to decide where you really want to be. But then once you get that, and that goes back to the gut we talked about before. That's, that's like, hey, this is where I want to be. But there's three major components to that. You have to be really good at something. You have to enjoy it. And you have to be able to make money at it. So during that period of time, once you focus on what you want, then you're going to assess it, which is going to make sure that you can define your expertise. And then you're going to actually have to commit where you're going to say, hey, I'm going to go in and do this. And like the question you asked me about um, when you commit, Sometimes you have to do something that you don't like doing in order to get to an end. So like, for example, I had to go back and work my business for a while to, to get my next business started and make the pivot to where I am now. So you have to commit to do everything that it's going to take. And then that goes a little bit deeper where it involves making sure that your circle of influence, like your spouse and anybody that's going to be a part of your growth is is going to be in alignment with this vision because if they're not then you almost have to stop right now because it's going to break down and fall apart right that that happens in in the first month and if you follow the program that could also take five years like it did for me the first time so it's really important that your listeners understand that it's a 10-month program but that 10 that's 10 months if you if you're going to do it in 10 months you can make this work with whatever works best for your lifestyle and, and where you want to be. And that leads into, into the first half, which is where we, we start implementing our dream. So the, the next step is, is T, which is take calculated actions. And that's where you establish yourself as an expert and you start implementing the back ends. And that's when you start getting out there and uh, putting, it, putting your product out. And that happens over the course of a couple months. That's when you, like if you're in the coaching industry, that's when you get your first client and you start working with that client and understanding what works and what doesn't work. If you, if you're developing a product and maybe where you're putting your product out to the public and selling it at a small scale, but you haven't done a major advertising campaign because you're trying to get some feedback and see what the customer wants. And, and that's a good point as well is when, when we start a business, it, it generally is an idea, but there's a point where you have to go out to the customer and, and say, Hey, what do you actually want? And then you have to hit that happy medium. I've heard some, some horror stories of, I, I heard one about a fruit drink where, where somebody was struggling with sales with a fruit drink because they were selling a drink that had a color additive to a group of people that had a problem with, with adding any color additives hmm. into the drinks. So the only thing they needed to do was listen to the feedback and they could have exploded. Instead, they went out of business. Interesting. And, and it's just an example of what, what we do because we get so dead set that we have the perfect idea, but really right. the perfect idea is what somebody's going to buy, not necessarily the initial dream, which is why there's so many prototypes to build 
build something that's really successful. So after you take that initial feedback, you get out there, then you move into the, the half, I like to call it halftime. That's when you optimize. So that's when you start dialing things in. So, so for example, if you have, you have a lead capture where you have people coming in and, and there's this, this great backstory. There's a guy, Donnie White, who's the owner of a company called Co-Construct. And he, he was telling me that he, with, his, with his program, people would come in and they early in the early stages, he would get a text message. And when he got a text message, that would trigger him to no matter what he was doing to go running, get to a computer and send out a series of emails, which were all quote unquote automated, right? Well, no, it was the owner of the company sending these emails out. And he did that for a while. And they went, and they did a trade show and they booked like 80 clients. And he was, okay, I can't do this anymore. So at that point in time, he had to go in and he had to hire somebody to build a an automated process to take that over because he now had something that was tested that made sense. That's the kind of stuff that happens during the optimization period. And that's where you start pulling yourself out of the weeds so that you can actually have some time. Because as a business owner, when you first start a business, it, it's counterintuitive, but you're actually very, very slow because you really don't have anything going on. But then as the work starts to come in, that's where a lot of people get into trouble because the work starts coming in and they're not prepared to handle the influx and then they start falling it down, falling apart. So after you go through the, the optimization half, then you get into the second half. And at that point, that's where you go back and you, you continue, you're constantly testing, you're reassessing your, your mindset, making sure that you're still committed to this, making sure that your, your circle is still committed to this, making sure that you're committed long-term so that you can really start investing in this now and really start growing and scaling it. And then you figure out where you want to be. So some people at that point in time may say, I am right where I want to be right now. I have made as much money as I was making with my job. I can provide for my family. However, I've created a business model that affords me these extra benefits that I didn't have before. So I'm good. I'm going to stop right there. So then I tell people, I call it plus one. I tell those people, go one more step ahead because you always have, it's always going to be a little harder than you thought. You're going to always going to have dips. You always want to go a little bit farther than you think you should to make sure you don't mm -hmm. get yourself caught. But some people want to blow it up and they want to do like Grant Cardone and they want to 10X this thing. So those people, I, I walk them through a path through the series of steps of how to scale and create additional income streams over the series of months going forward from that uh, so that they don't do it too much at once. And, and obviously if you can create related different income streams, it gets much easier because then you can leverage the same resources to bring money in from different places. Mm -hmm. Almost like if you leverage different social media platforms with the same video content, you break it into different lengths for the different platforms. That would be the same way as creating different income streams that, that are related that you do it once and you get paid multiple times. That's ideal. And that's where you can really create some time. And then after that happens, you go through the program and then it's a matter of where I think a lot of entrepreneurs really screw up only about 2% make it beyond 10 years in their business. So sustaining is just something that doesn't happen. So there's a period where you have to have to take the steps to make sure that you can sustain long-term and stay relevant and have a plan in place to continue to learn and continue to grow so that your business continues to prosper and doesn't go backwards. And then make sure 
that you intentionally enjoy your life. Like you said earlier on that you didn't miss the, the activities at school. It's kind of how I've always been. The thing is, I took it for granted. I didn't realize I did that until people started coming to me and saying, how do you do that? So I don't know. I just do it. Well, then I realized that so many business owners don't build their business around that. So because they don't build it around that, they never can do that. So that's right. a, I, I, I think also, Tim, what happens is we are so we get so hung up on achieving this arbitrary end game goal and we don't enjoy the journey, as I say. So you have to enjoy it. Otherwise, what's the point, right? <laughs> Otherwise, how is this serving me if, if I'm not able to do those things that I want to do to some extent? I, I just messaged somebody last night and told them that I'm trying really hard to live in the moment with my kids because I realize how fast it goes by. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I think a lot of people will say, but there's a big difference between saying it and actually doing it. Agreed. Now, that doesn't mean that we're saying, I mean, obviously you have to make certain sacrifices, but hopefully, uh, otherwise you, you have to reevaluate what business you're in or how you're doing it as, as Tim has described this process here, you're sacrificing the things that aren't as important, right? So I'm willing to sacrifice other things but not spending time with my family, for example. That's what's important to me. Um, so it's not that we don't make sacrifices, but it's got to be giving us this opportunity to live these freedoms. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah? Um, but as you were walking through this, the thing that I'm challenged with a little bit, Tim, is I get how, especially that first half, how it applies to building a new business. Give me a little bit more about how I apply it to an existing business like you did, where I'm in the middle of this thing and I'm struggling and I need to go back. So how do I do that? How do I do the, you know, the assess phase and the commit and take calculated actions when I've already got this business built? It's just not, not performing how I want it. So the, the steps are exactly the same. And that's a great question because it works. It works in both, both facets because what you're, what you're doing is if you're, if you're building it from scratch, there are some things early on, like one of the biggest mistakes that I made for a lot of years was messaging. I was absolutely awful at telling people what I did. I could tell them I was a contractor, but I couldn't leave them knowing exactly the type of work that I did. So they couldn't necessarily say, okay, when I think of, con when I think of, uh, say kitchen. When I think of a kitchen, I know I'm going to call Tim. So I would get a call from somebody saying, Hey, I, I need a, a shingle patched on my roof, or I need somebody to do my landscaping in my front yard, or I need somebody to build me a house. So I didn't do a good job of saying exactly what I did. And I think that's where a lot of businesses are. It, so, so as a, as a general rule, when you're, when your business is starting to struggle. If you just heard that, a bird just flew into my window. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because I have that happen often in my house. <laughs> There's two windows in my office and it hit one and then it flew right into the other one. I, you know, it's, it happens a lot for us, especially in the spring when they swarm. We have these sparrows that swarm and, and we have four or five of them in a season that'll do that. Anyway, well, at least they're kamikaze clean. birds. You're right. Yeah. At least the windows are clean, I guess. <laughs> so, so anyway, when you, when you go back as, a, as an existing business, you're, you're doing the same thing. You're doing exactly what I did, actually. You're going back and you're, you're reliving every step of your business. And you're basically rebuilding your business on paper. 
and you're mm -hmm. as along the way instead of implementing something new you're you're fixing something old but you, you got it dawns on me though you gotta it seems like for most of us we gotta get help doing that because because that you're talking about a heck of a lot of responsibility and time and sometimes we can't see it because we're so deep in it as to what needs to be fixed and and that's why what what I do is as as I go through the the process I introduce a, a personal assessment and there, yeah. there's a series of scorings because I I and I, I I tell you point blank look you're, you're going to score really low on this because I, I think it's important one of the things that entrepreneurs uh, struggle with is is the is they teeter on that line of of being cocky or arrogant with what they provide versus mm -hmm. uh, understanding that they don't know everything and and it and it's a it's a balance that you have to have in order to to carry yourself the way to be successful. So sometimes the the dose of reality, uh, which I feel like in my my system I do a, a pretty good job of, is saying, "Hey, you're not perfect. There's things you need to work on." And oh, by the way, here's mistakes I made along the way, and here's also mistakes other really elite entrepreneurs that I've talked with have made along the way. So it's okay to not be perfect, yeah. number one. It's okay to go back and adjust. And that's what you should be doing is you should be testing. And it's really okay to go out and hire somebody to help you work through these processes. And to, and to be completely blunt with your listeners, for me, that was a game changer. At the point where I actually wrote a check, well, actually, I put it on a credit card, but the point where I actually paid somebody to give me some professional coaching was an absolute game changer for me. Yeah, same, same thing for me. All right, so where do I get that? Where can I take that 10-factor personal evaluation? Is that what it's called? I, can't, I, I took it, but I can't remember what it's, it's called. It's a 10-factor personal assessment. So if you, go okay. to, if you go to my website, which is the10factor.com, and that's T-H-E, the number one zero, F-A-C-T-O-R.com, then you can, you can take it right there. It'll, it'll pop up in a few seconds. You can you can download it and you can take that assessment and it'll, it's, it's broken into nine, nine pieces of business that I see uh, very critical to establish a good baseline. And what it'll do is, is if, if nothing else, it will, if you're honest with yourself and that it's really important that you're honest, it'll tell you where you're at right now in business. And then you, then you can establish a true map to start fixing it piece by piece. Cause you're not going to fix it all overnight. And that's where the professional help comes in as well. Somebody to help you, organize all those thoughts and say, okay, well, this is what we got. Now, how do we put that into some semblance so we can, we can get you to the next level? Yeah, it's great stuff. All right. We could keep talking about this forever, but, but um, I'm running out of time here. So I appreciate you staying with me here. And so let's talk about the book. Uh, the book is called the 10 factor and that when did you release the book? So the book was released. It's been out for a little bit over a year now. It came out February of 2018. And it covers this whole methodology uh, or the, the, this whole process that you walk through the whole 10 steps over the 10 months or however long it takes. It covers it in, in pretty good detail, right? It does. It, it goes through. It starts you on day one and you can actually, um, within the book, it, it's interactive. So you, you can actually uh, take the 10 second test and the 10 minute dream statement. And there, there are some exercises in there, which I feel are really important to put pen to paper and get your thoughts down. Great. We'll have a link to it on the show notes page. Is there another book that comes to mind, Tim, that you would recommend to us? I'm always looking for book recommendations. A absolutely. There, there's an author by the name of Peter Voog, uh, V-O-O-G-D. And I can tell you that when I was on my journey, um, 
between the time where where my other company went through that adversity and the, the time where I where I wrote my book, I was was doing a lot of personal development. And Peter's book was the first book that I found myself saying, uh-huh, this stuff actually makes sense. This isn't somebody that's put a bunch of fluff out that really isn't going to help me. And it was the first book that I actually found myself pull out a, a pencil and started writing in the book, hmm. which is something I generally don't do. So I knew I was onto something there and put a lot of stock in that. And Peter's a great guy. Well, what's the title of the so book? The book is called Six Months to Six Figures. And it talks about his journey of um, when he was, was flat broken and, and got started. He was a lot younger, but uh, a lot of similar things. Excellent. Thanks for that recommendation. All right, we'll start to wrap it up. What's, uh, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we had related to the 10 factor and, and using this methodology to either build a new business or to, to rebuild, if you will, a business that isn't giving you what you need lifestyle wise? What's one thing you want us to take away? Don't ever give up on your dreams because dreams are definitely something that can, can be um, captured and something that can be used. But when you, when you do establish your dreams, Make sure that if, if there's a family structure there, that you, you converse amongst the family and make sure that everybody's on the same page because entrepreneurship is a very, very rewarding yet very, very difficult journey. And it's really important that everybody's on the same page to go through the good times as well as the bad times together. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and we'll have a separate conversation on what you do if you're not in alignment, but that is so important to have that. And that's always why I, I tend to ask that question. It, just for a moment on the dream, you know, the thing that's, that's tricky sometimes is that often my dream is to have more money, right? To make more money. But in, in your opinion, it's got to be more than that. Is that fair? In my opinion, it, it's really never about money. What the money does, in my mind, is the money gives you choices. And what happens is most people, when, they, when they're not accomplishing a dream, they're coming up with some excuses to why they're not. And one of the excuses is, hey, I can't, I can't have the right pair of shoes, or I can't have the right car, or I don't have a fast enough computer, because I can't afford it. But really, the, the money gives you the choice to go out and get that. But with, with people, I find that it's really figuring out what they really stand for. What's their core belief? What is their why? And when you get to that why, the money is a byproduct of the why. But the, it's really not the, really what drives people in most instances. That's what I find. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, thank you for that. And tell us again then where you want us to go online to find out more and, and where to find the assessment. Go to the10factor.com. And again, that's T-H-E, the number one zero, F-A-C-T-O-R.com. Perfect. All right, Tim, thanks for being with me today, sharing all these insights uh, and indulging me with all these questions. We went a little longer than we usually do because it was such a good conversation. Thanks. Thanks for investing the time and for sharing your thoughts and experiences today. No, Henry, it was a pleasure to be here. I hope your listeners got some real value today. I hope so, because I did. So this is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Tim Michael. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowabusiness.com. Or you can also just text the word biz to 31996 to receive more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.